We're on a five-week series, week number three of our five-week series called God Gift to Us. Uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus in um, the upper room. And as he's in the upper room, he's saying his last words to his disciples before he goes to the cross, before he goes to the grave. And during these last words, you're getting the emotional heart of Jesus to his disciples. And you're given uh, a whole complete summary of his entire life or the three years with the disciples. And you're also getting the richness of this is what you're going to have when I leave. So inside of this uh, upper room discourse is what they call it, John 14 through 16, um, there's five different gifts that he's giving to his disciples. And he's given these five gifts saying, you don't want to live without these five things because this is a thing that's going to carry you through life. Now, if he's given the disciples five gifts, um, he's given us these five gifts as well, as these five gifts can, are easily transferred to us in regards to the teaching in the upper room discourse. So what are these gifts? Well, that's what we're talking about for the next five weeks. Last, first week, we talked about God's gift is hope for the future, glory, which is heaven. And last week, it's um, a relationship. We can have a personal relationship with God, God the Father, because of what Jesus has done and this gift that we're going to talk about today is a gift that's not just mentioned in the Upper Room Discourse. It's a gift that is mentioned and then explained through all, different, all three of the chapters. So therefore, it is a gift that uh, carries a lot of weight because it is a gift that puts everything together. So what is that gift? Number one, Jesus has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to read the passage and then we'll work through the passage to see what is taking place. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. And then John 16, another statement. But I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Here's a gift, the Holy Spirit. But before we can understand uh, the power of that gift, we kind of need to understand what the Holy Spirit is because I will tell you it's more than just a simple gift. Um, have you ever heard the word the Trinity? We're going to talk a little bit about doctrine. Don't worry, we're not going to wait the whole sermon on, on uh, theology, but uh, we need to understand this, uh, this concept of the Trinity. And I will tell you, it's a, a deep concept, so as I explain it, you're not going to understand it as we need to understand it, but just bear with me as we talk about it. What is the Trinity? Maybe you've heard this before. The Trinity is that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So how many gods is there? There's one. <laughs> the Father is God, complete separate entity. The Jesus is God, completely different person. The Holy Spirit is God. Shouldn't that be three gods? It's not three gods. It is one God, but three different beings. You might say, well, I don't understand that. That's all right. That means you're on the right track if you don't understand it. But let me tell you something else you don't understand. Uh, you don't understand how God spoke things into being. You know, we read in Genesis, and God spoke things into being. Now, when you speak something into being, what takes place? There's a mathematical formula that is not being complied with. It's actually being built. Well, that's completely beyond our mind when you build a mathematical formula, speak things into being. But we accept it, though we don't understand it. 
Or we start talking about eternity. God never had a beginning. Well, everything we've seen, everything that we live in, has all had a beginning. So our mind cannot conceive it. It's too far beyond our mind to completely understand, grab a hold of the concept that there never was a beginning with God, and there will never be an end to God, nor will there ever be an end to us. Now, the Bible says that completely, but when we think about that, it's like, well, I just, I just don't understand that. That's, I, I can't conceive that, but yet we accept it. The Trinity is the same thing. There's three different beings, but one. Now, that is horrible math, but I will tell you it is awesome theology because two plus one is, in our mind, three. But according to this, two plus one is one when we start talking um, about, about God. So, yes, we cannot comprehend it. So as we cannot comprehend it, we try to give people an understanding, and, which is okay um, through our efforts, but um, in our efforts of trying to take our simple mind, our minute mind, and try to understand and grasp God, I just want to say that we, we literally fail. One of the ways that we try to grasp the Trinity is we start talking about an egg. The egg has three parts. It has a shell. It has a white. It has a yolk. Those three make up what? One egg. Uh, the problem with that, and that's what they say, you know, the Father is the shell, you know, the Son is the white, and then the Holy Spirit is the yoke. But the problem with that is that Jesus is not a part of God. He's separate from the Father. So they're not part of each other. So we can't grab a hold of that. Or we use the term liquid, vapor, and ice. They all do what? They all form water, but at the three different. That actually doesn't work as well. And the reason why is because Jesus is not a form of God. God is not a form of the Holy Spirit. There, there's three separate. So what we just got to come up with is that we cannot grasp the concept of the Trinity, but the Bible is pushing the concept with an extreme amount of power. John Wesley says, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man who can comprehend the triune God. So if you look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is one God in three persons. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what we hold on to. So instead of trying to grasp that and put that science into our mind, I want to challenge that when we look at the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as we're reading the Bible, that we do something else. That we observe their jobs. Because if you observe their jobs, we get this revelation and beautiful picture of God. And even when we worship and we're singing and we're praising, giving glory to God, we can worship inside the triune God with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the observation of the jobs. And I will tell you that it's absolutely beautiful. So what are the jobs? Just really fast. Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But the Father is the voice. Jesus is the speech. And the Holy Spirit is the speaking. Kind of look at it that way of how they're reacting and responding to the world. The Father begins, the Son upholds, and the Holy Spirit completes. The Father designed, the Son purchased, and the Holy Spirit supplies. The Father is the Creator, the Son is the Redeemer, the Holy Spirit is the Recreator. So you can kind of see a picture of the beautiful unity that God has inside of the Trinity for the purpose of blessing and saving us. So that's the theology lesson, and now we're going to work through the passages, and we're going to try to understand the five gifts that Jesus gave us in regards to the Holy Spirit, the five gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is going to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, there's five more things that are going to come with that beautiful gift, and they're all mentioned in the passages in the Upper Room Discourse. So number two, this is the first gift. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Jesus says the word, It is good for me that I go away. And the reason why it's good for me that I go away is because the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will come and do what? And teach. I went to the uh, father-daughter camp out on Friday night, and I will tell you we had 125 fathers and daughters, and they gave these pink shirts to all the daughters. So there's half of the crew, which is the daughters, are just running around these pink shirts, and then you've got dads that are just walking around with broad shoulders, grinning from ear to ear, nodding their heads. And I will tell you, just coming from my perspective of observing it, the fathers were just loving it. Big old grin on their faces. And then you look at the, 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 the daughters. They were just eating it up. And as I was observing them, fishing, watching s'mores, playing games, setting up tents, I was observing the conversations that they were consistently having. And some of the things and statements that they were saying is, Dad, show me how to do this. Dad, teach me. Dad, I can't do this. Can you come help? There's just this constant statements of, Dad, I just lost my marshmallow. Dad, can you bring this to me? Dad, can you take care of this? And dads are just oh, all over the girls asking that. And one in particular girl just caught a fish. And as she's catching a fish, you know, the dad's glowing from ear to ear. And uh, they pull the fish up. And, and what does dad do? Does dad just go uh, leave and take a break? No, dad is right there. Dad grabs the fish and he does what? Hey, look at this fish. Ooh, look how deep the hook is. And the daughter, what, looks over into the fish, how deep the hook is. And there's blood everywhere. And the daughter's going, wow, Dad. And the dad is saying, this is good. Let me show you how to get a hook out. Yeah, Dad, show me how to get a hook out. Then they pull the hook out, and then they're all celebrating. Give the daughter the fish. The daughter takes the fish around and shows everybody else. And she has blood just dripping all over her little hands. What is that? That's what you call a, a relationship walking together, being taught, leaning on each other. The Holy Spirit is the same way. Jesus, when he came, he he was at the Sea of Galilee for a while. He also went to Jerusalem. He traveled around the country of Israel. Did he ever make it to the United States? (laughs) Not until after his resurrection. Why? Because it says, it's good for me that I go away, because then the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he will teach you all things, meaning that God is not in heaven far, far away. He is right next to us with this gift of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and then will do what? And will remind you of everything I have said to you. He will teach you, and then what he'll do? He will also remind you. This is a, a huge gift. Let me tell you that a gift is no good unless it is it's opened. So if you have a, a Christmas present underneath a tree and it remains there for an entire year, two years, three years, four years, five years, no matter what that gift is. It's not beautiful until it's opened, until you see it, until you grab a hold of it. And that's when the gift comes alive. So here is Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach. The Holy Spirit will remind you all that Jesus has brought you. How do you get that gift of the Holy Spirit? Because we can just ignore it. We can not talk about it. We can not even be blessed by it. How do you get that gift? Tell you how the Holy Spirit, the main force of this gift, 
The unwrapping of this gift is in the Word of God. When I went to class, there's a lot of writing that took place in regards to notes, in regards to assignments. What took place with writing is that's where I learned. When Jesus says, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit provides us with God's Word, but the Word of God does not come alone. God comes with it, which is the Holy Spirit. You see what takes place? If I want to unwrap the gift of the Holy Spirit, I need to be in the Word. Because being in the Word just unwraps His voice and also it unwraps, unfolds the Spirit in your life. So the challenge, if you want to open the gift where the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you, is you got to be in the Word. You hear this consistently, letter A, read the Bible every day from, from Pastor D. What happens when we read the Bible? You hear it from me. What happens when we read the Bible? What takes place when we read the Bible? The Holy Spirit is coming our way. Why? Because it is His book that He works through. 2 Peter 1, 20 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of what? Man. Never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by what? The Holy Spirit. Do you see that consistency that God is going to give us a gift and the Holy Spirit is wrapped up in the Word? And when the Holy Spirit is wrapped up in the Word, what you read in the morning, I will tell you, will come to your mind during the day. It will come to your thoughts. And what's it going to say? It's going to teach you completely about Jesus. The next thing that the Holy Spirit does you, the next gift that he gives you, is number three, the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. Again, when we start talking about the jobs of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the overriding job of all of them is to point to the other. And what I mean by that is that if you walk up to God the Father and you come to worship God the Father, he's not going to reject the worship. He's going to say, thank you for that worship. But as he's taking the worship, what's he going to do? Look at Jesus. Look at the Spirit. So you go to the Father, and then he starts to point. Look at Jesus. Look at the Spirit. It says in the Word that you can't even come to the Father unless what? Through Jesus or the Holy Spirit enables you. So when we feast off the beauty of the Father, the Father is always pointing, look at Jesus, look at the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden we just pretend a little bit. You step away from the Father, and then you go to Jesus. and says, oh, God, the Father told me to go to you. You must be it, Jesus. He says, thank you for coming to me. Salvation is yours. And then what does Jesus do? He points, go to the Father, go to the Spirit. He's like, well, I came to you, Jesus. Yes, you came to me. The Father, the Spirit, I'm pointing you that direction as well. Then you go to the Spirit. When you go to the Spirit, what does the Spirit do? He's going to say, well, go to the Father and go to Jesus. You see, every time that attention and worship comes together, there is a disclosure from whoever you came to of the other two. So the Father is always pointing to Jesus and the Spirit. Jesus is always pointing to the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit is always pointing to the Father and the Son. And if you're confused, that's okay. But it's a huge circle, and once you get involved in trying to understand the circle, you are then worshiping. Because the Father and the Son and the Spirit exist for the purpose of glorifying each other. Let me just give you a, a fast example of um, what I'm talking about. When Peter preached at Pentecost, what happened? He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and what? 3,000 people received Christ. It's another time that he preached, and guess what took place? 5,000 people received Christ. 
Paul went on missionary's journeys. When he went on missionary's journey, I will tell you there are so many seeds that took place in the launch of the church and so many salvations. And these salvations were strong, rich, that people would completely devote their entire lives to during that, during that whole process of life. So when you see all of that work, it's like, wow, the Spirit is alive. But let me ask the question, did Jesus ever preach a sermon that saved 3,000 people? Did he ever preach a sermon that saved 5,000 people? Now you wonder, whoa, don't, don't talk about, about Jesus. I'm not talking bad about Jesus. I'm asking the question, did you ever see 3,000? Did you ever see 5,000 people at the end of Jesus' life that talk about you only had 500 disciples? And right at the, before he went to the cross, he didn't have any friends. Yet he devoted his entire life to people. Well, what's going on here? Is the Spirit more powerful? What's, what's, what's taking place? What has taken place is Jesus is making the same statement in the Old Testament, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. What's he doing? He is pointing in a hard direction, so hard that he's saying, it is good for me that I go away, because if I go away, the Spirit of truth will come to you. So we see Jesus point very hard to that direction. And then once we go over to the Holy Spirit, and we say, Holy Spirit, Jesus just pointed me to you. You must be it. What's the Holy Spirit say? (laughs) I don't say anything except the message that Jesus Christ did. And I will show you everything that Jesus Christ did. What does he do? He points right back. And then when you go to Jesus, Jesus says, you see what me? I don't even speak on my behalf. It's the Father. You see how that circle takes place? A very, very powerful circle as they're pointing to each other. John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will do what? Testify about me. The Holy Spirit and the Father are what doing working together in this passage, and where are they pointing? They're pointing, they're pointing to Jesus. And as a result, revival has taken place in the land. You can't worship one without worshiping the other two, in a sense of there is one God and embracing that as one God, as there are one being. So if I want to open the package of the Holy Spirit, open the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I want him to completely testify about Jesus, and I want to know more about Jesus, what should I do? Spirit works very powerfully, what we call prayer. If we're going to go and pray every single day, we're opening up the package of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, give me everything you have about Jesus. Did you know that when you pray, the revelation of what Jesus did for you comes in a heavy way? The revelation of grace, the revelation of love, the revelation of being embraced by Jesus, the revelation of the Father. There's power in prayer. Why is there power in prayer? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in prayer. Commit to pray, and the Spirit Spirit will commit to giving you understanding. Do not commit to pray, and the Spirit will not commit to give you a spirit of understanding. What's another gift? Number four, the Holy Spirit will convict you regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. What does the word convict mean? Last week I talked about my wife going out and getting 200 flowers and that I planted all of them. I was corrected when I got home. My wife says, you did not plant all of them. I planted all of them, so I just need to go back and make an explanation. 
My wife sets them out on top of the ground of where she wants them. I take the trowel, I dig the hole, I put them in, and then I cover it over. So we plant them as a team. I just want to make sure that I got that theology right, but that is what takes place. In February, we bought uh, two dogs, because we like, you know, some activity on our land when we are away from home. And let me show you a picture of these two dogs. Um, this is Nora, and this is Bella, and if you think that they look innocent, you are deceived. Um, they're not necessarily innocent because what they like to do is they're two digging dogs that like to dig. And we didn't know it, but after we put 200 flowers into the ground, sure enough, they liked those flowers. And we left home to take care of the place, and they took care of the place. Now, we have a family conflict. Relationships have now been annihilated inside of our family. Where my wife looks at me and says, what are you going to do about it? I look at the dogs and say, I'm going to shoot the dogs. <laughs> and, and the kids go, okay, mom and dad are wondering what's going on. Is this going to be all put together? Well, I'll tell you what. In my wisdom, I figured something out. We have, <laughs> don't mean to brag about my wisdom, but I'm proud of this and I've got to show it to you. I have cows and I have an electric fence that goes alongside of our yard. And sure enough, I bought a wire that you can actually bury underneath the ground. So I buried this water under, wire underneath the ground, underneath the lawn, and I hooked it up to electric fence, and then I brought it into the flower beds, and then I strung this electric fence around all of our flower beds. Guys, you can take notice of this, but look at this. That's a $98 tree. Do you see that fence that's around there? No dogs touched it after they dug it out one day, but show you this as well. You can see all the flowers. The fence is right there over every single one. And you, this one, you might not be able to see the fence, but I guarantee that it is there right across. You'd be really impressed with those steps because I went underneath the steps and came back up again through that wire. Good fire. And then the next one, um, this, I guess it's there, around all the flower beds. This maintains unity in our home. And the reason why is because my dogs receive a slight conviction and you call it electricity. And it says, you don't want this, therefore don't touch it. Well, I will tell you that you might say, well, that's horrible. You put a whole landmine around your, how many times your dogs are going to get zapped? I will only tell you, they've only been zapped once. Well, only one dog got zapped twice because I put it in a different location. But I will tell you, they learn really, really quick. What is Conviction. It is in your best interest that you stay away from this. See, what happens with God is that God is for us in every single way. And sin is against us in every single way. And Satan wants to destroy us in every single way. But the Holy Spirit has been granted to us. And the Holy Spirit has been granted to us for the purpose of saying, you don't want this because I'm in it for your benefit. Therefore, let's look at this conviction that God says, no, 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 no. This brings life. This brings death. Don't do this. The conscience is there. Let's look at the passage. John eight sixteen. When, a, when he comes, the Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Three things that he convicts on. And I just want to touch base on what does that mean. And the reason why I want to touch base on what it means is because he explains it after he says it. Verse 9 says, In regards to sin, because men do not believe in me. Who's a they talking about in this subject? They're talking about this subject, a person that does not know God, a person that has rejected God, and a person that is in sin, which all of us are in sin. What happens with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's job is to say, wake up and see the state that you're in and see the salvation that you can receive 
so salvation will be yours, so I can be yours. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. Nobody comes to the Father but through the Spirit. Nobody sees Jesus but through the revelation of the Spirit. That's the Spirit's job. What's he doing? He's in it for our best interest. And when you reject God, you reject Jesus, you reject the death, burial, and resurrection, it is the Spirit that's going to touch you, or he's not going to go touch you, to give you an understanding of what you don't have, but what you really want. He'll convict you in regard to sin. Unsaved person, he convicted me, and I found Jesus. The next thing, in regards to righteousness. Convict us in regards to righteousness, and then he explains it. Because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Who's this person? This person is that dad is leaving. I can do whatever I want. Jesus is saying, you can't do whatever you want. I'm going to the Father. I will give you the Holy Spirit and drive your life to righteousness. We don't like that word, righteous. And, uh, but what does righteous mean? Righteousness means do it right doing it right in the arena that we are created to make it happen. So in other words, God says, be righteous because I know it's your best interest in mind. And if you do it right, joy will come your way. Blessings will come your way. Peace will come your way. No matter what situations are, just do it right. That's what righteousness is. And he'll convict us for that. And then in regards to judgment, because the prince of the world stands condemned. The prince of the world is talking about Satan is being condemned and condemnation comes our way as well. If we just turn away from God and embrace something else besides him, the Holy Spirit comes and says, I will walk with you in that in regards to judgment. I will tell you. So if we're going to open up this package, what would it look like? This is what the package in the verse means. You want to bow your knee, look to Jesus, and listen to your conscience. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you go bow your knee to Jesus, look to Je- bow your knee, look to Jesus, and then listen to your conscience, you are being guided by what? The gift that has been given to you, which is the Holy Spirit. That's a gift. We look at it. Do we want to take advantage of it? Or do we want to blot it out of our life? For a God that says, I am in it for your best interest, it is definitely not something you want to blot out of your life, but something that you want to embrace. What's the last gift of the Holy Spirit? Number five, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Convict is, I would say, the electric fence. (laughs) Shock, don't do. Guide is, shows the way, leading, directing, advising. John 16, 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Guided. How do you be guided by the Holy Spirit? Well, you can open that package only by one way. The only way to open the package is that you got to listen and obey. Um, if you don't listen and obey, is God going to continue to guide us? Is the Holy Spirit going to continue to guide us? Um, I like to raft, and, and uh, as I'm rafting, I usually sit on the back of the boat, and they call me the, the guide, and then the paddlers are alongside the boat, and I call them the power that moves the boat where we want to get the boat to go. Because the boat does not move unless they paddle forward or paddle back. And all I do is steer the boat in the back. Well, there was one in particular time that I had a young person that um, liked to be in control. And maybe he just didn't like to be in control. Maybe he just wanted to have a good day. And a good day considered hitting the rapids as hard as he can straight. Well, I agree with him. I want to have a good day every single time I go on the raft. 
So what I do is I, as the guide, I know how to do it. As a guide, I go into the rapid crooked, and the reason why is because I want to hit that rapid so perfect and I can maneuver, not to get an explanation, but can maneuver as long as we're crooked. And then right when we get to the top, I'll straighten it out, and we'll go into the hole, and we'll come up, and we always hit them straight, and we always hit them right, and we always have a fun time doing it. But this individual just could not stand the boat being crooked before we're going into it. So he'd grab his paddle, and he'd try to straighten us out. And I told him, you are in danger of your life if you start manipulating with my direction as I'm the guide, because if you straighten us out too soon, then I have no power to go any direction. Okay, I won't do it anymore. We'd do it again. He'd straighten us out. We'd do it again. He'd straighten us out. I hate to say it, I did not want him on my boat. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wish he would just get on shore and walk the rest of the way home. Uh, that's the same way with God. God is wanting to put us in positions, in places, in areas, but who is he going to work through? Who's he going to move? It's the one that says, I'll do it, and in the process of doing it, I will obey. See what happens with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and fills and moves and drives and guides and leads and advises to the someone who raises his hand and says, I will obey. So if you want to unleash that package, obey God. John 14, 13 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And this is the Spirit of truth. Number six. Oh, it's not the last one. Number six is the last one. I'm the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what is God slash Jesus and make it known to you. What is God's? What is slash? What is Jesus's? John 16, 13. Here's the mission of the Holy Spirit. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is going to do What? Tell me of what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from me from what is mine and making it known to you. What happens is that the Spirit wants to give you the future. Why does the Spirit want to give you the future? Because we, what we believe the future will be will drive our life, will send us, will move us, will motivate us. The Holy Spirit wants to give us a glimpse of the future for the purpose of driving us forward. What do you, just a picture of 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 2, 9, <coughs> excuse me, of the Holy Spirit that is working. How does the Holy Spirit work? We're going to read a, a verse that's uh, mis one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. However it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. That verse, you read it, and it carries thickness that God is so far beyond our mind, and he's planting a place that is completely beyond our understanding, beyond our mind. And then we usually stop that verse right there. But watch what the Spirit does. But God, this is verse 10, but God has revealed it to us. What? The place where no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind can conceive. The Spirit has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, can we grasp the entire concept of what heaven's going to be like? But we can know when we receive God because then things start opening up. We start having an understanding. Letter A, rejoice in the future. What do we call that? We call that worship. Rejoice in the future. Hang on to the future. And the Holy Spirit is going to come your direction and give you more understanding of what the future is going to look like. So what's the job of the Holy Spirit? Teach, testify, convict, guide, and reveal. Number seven, let's just wrap it up. We live in the day that Moses longed for. 
Use the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you mean we live in a day that Moses longed for? 3,000 years ago, Moses made a statement, and Moses is a very strong pinnacle in the Bible, a very strong person that everybody looks at and say, oh yeah, it's all about Moses. He makes this statement in Numbers. Let's just read the statement. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down from the cloud and spoke with him. And he took the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. And then Numbers 11 says, I wish, this is Moses speaking, I wish, Moses' wish, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is Moses' wish, is that everybody who finds God would have the spirit living in them. 3,000 years ago, Moses made this statement. And that statement does what? He was looking forward to it that long ago. That statement is, we are in an era right now that Moses only dreamed about. We have a gift that Moses only dreamed about that could happen. We have a blessing from the Lord, which is the Holy Spirit, that Moses said, what would this world be like if we had it? So that just leads us to ask the question, what are we doing with the Holy Spirit that we have? Spirit come to teach? Am I reading the Bible every day so I can have an understanding? The Spirit came to testify? Am I in prayer every day so I can see Jesus more? The Spirit came to convict? Am I listening to my conscience or am I shoving my conscience and ignoring it? The Spirit came to guide? Am I obeying? The Spirit came to reveal? Am I rejoicing? Am I worshiping? That's the challenge that we have with this amazing gift. And my encouragement is to unwrap the package and let the Holy Spirit live in your life. Father, we just thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God, as we um, seek to understand it, I just pray that we'll go after it. God, don't let us be satisfied with normal. God, um, I just pray that we would be um, um, devoted, willing, um, driven, God, to do whatever we can for the Holy Spirit, God, to live richly in our lives. God, there is a condition on the Holy Spirit, and the condition is a commitment on our behalf. And we just pray that that commitment would take place in all of us. In Christ's name, amen.